0: Hello and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do in your life.
1: We're going to take uh, some time to look at God's uh, word together. Would you just pray with me for a moment? Let's ask God's blessing on our uh, time where we reflect on God's word together. Father, um, we give you this time when we look at your word. We ask, Lord, that uh, the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts together, that it would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. And we put ourselves into your hands and ask that your Holy Spirit enlighten us and help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you were um, in school, you took English. And uh, we all learned about something called metaphors, right? Metaphors. Uh, A metaphor, well, it's it's a figure of speech. It's a comparison between two or more things that using figurative or descriptive language. And the Bible is full of colorful metaphors. And many of them have to do with being a follower of Jesus. And we're going to put some pictures up on the screen uh, of the most common ones that Jesus Himself used, and you can help me identify the metaphor. All right, so here's the first picture. What are you looking at? Sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. All right, here's another picture. What's that? Salt. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, right? Metaphor let's look at the next one. What's that? Light. light. That's because Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a metaphor. Now, this one might be a little bit harder. But... Well, you're not a grape, but you're what? <laughs> you're a branch, right? Uh, remember when Jesus said, yes, I am the vine, and you are the what? The branches. The branches. So, you're you're like the the branch on um, uh, on a on a grapevine. Now, now these these next ones are going to be a little harder. What is what is that? It's a it's a it's a snake. It's a serpent. All right. And put up the next one. Anybody know what what those are? What they're birds, but what kind of birds are they? Anybody know? They're doves. Jesus also said this. So be as shrewd as snakes. And harmless as doves. Metaphors, all of them. Now, the great Christian leader Paul also used some metaphors to help us understand better what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our everyday lives. And two of them are found in um, the passage of 2 Corinthians that we want to reflect on today together. Every Christian is a fragrance and a letter, okay? And uh, I want us to look in 2 Corinthians where those metaphors are used. So grab your Bible in whatever form you have it today and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 14 and then go into the first three verses of chapter 3. All right, so uh, this is a, a briefer passage of 2 Corinthians than we've dealt with in the past, but a very important one. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. I'm at verse 1 of chapter 3 now. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So, we are making a study of Paul's second letter to these Corinthian Christians. I've entitled the series of messages, Cruciform, Living a Christ or a Cross-Shaped Life. And uh, cruciform, it refers to, to anything that's made into the shape of a cross, Building, artwork, jewelry. But you can also have a cruciform life, a life that resembles and reminds other people of Jesus. And when our lives, our actions, our attitudes, our words, how we treat other people are Christ like, they are cruciform or they are cross shaped. So then, I want to talk to you, first of all, about a cruciform life has a fragrance to it. That's the first kind of unusual, maybe not as well-known metaphor for being a follower of Jesus that, that, was, that it means to have an aroma or a fragrance. And Paul was thinking about something that he called a Roman triumph when he says there in verse 14, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. A Roman triumph, what on earth was that? Well, it was basically a, a military victory parade that went through the streets of Rome. And the parade included a procession. First were the members of the Roman Senate, and then the, there were trumpeters, and then there were lots of carts and wagons filled up with everything of value that the Roman soldiers took from the people that they'd just defeated. And then came the enemy leaders and and their families in chains, headed for either prison or or execution. Then came the victorious general himself, riding in a chariot, followed by his family. And finally, you had the the soldiers of the Roman army that had won the victory. They they walked in. And it it was quite the scene, as you can imagine. And... um, An integral part of these triumphal processions were priests swinging these big censers full of incense that was just billowing out this fragrant smoke along the parade route there in Rome. And these Roman parades or these processions were marked then by a very distinctive odor, fragrance, aroma. And, and Paul saw in that practice a metaphor that he could adapt and use to explain a cruciform life. Paul says here, our lives are like a Christ like what? Fragrance. Fragrance rising up to God. And you know what? One way to, um, to better understand these spiritual metaphors is to ask some questions. For example, what do you smell like spiritually? What do you smell like spiritually? When I have a cross-shaped life, I'm absolutely dependent on Jesus to be right with God. The message about Jesus is that he died in your place and in mine. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. The wages of your sin and mine is death, the Bible says, but God God accepted a substitute in our place, his sinless son, Jesus. You know, when people suggest that you can make yourself right with God through living a moral life, doing good deeds for others, giving money to worthy causes, they actually demonstrate their independence from Jesus. They don't really need Him. I mean, if you can make yourself right with God without Jesus, then both the cross and the empty tomb are irrelevant, right? Right? I mean, it's nice, I guess, that both happened, but so what? But when you can say with the hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, you declare your complete and total dependence on Jesus to make you acceptable before God. That is a spiritual aroma, a fragrance about your life, about your relationship with God. Paul continued. He said, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. So when you and I have a cross-shaped life, I acknowledge Jesus' supremacy in all of my life. You see, if a great, holy, and loving God sent His Son Jesus into the world to pay the penalty for my sin and ensure my eternal relationship with Him, then He deserves to have first place in my life. He is supreme. He's my first and last priority. He alone deserves to be at the center of my life, around which everything else revolves. When Jesus is supreme in my life, you, you give off, my friend, a spiritual aroma, a fragrance. Here's something else. When I have a cross-shaped life and you have one, I'm surrendered, we're surrendered fully to God for his purposes. Jesus made it clear that he was here to fulfill his father's will, his father's plan, his father's desires. His own were secondary. Jesus said to himself, I can do nothing on my own. I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. And even when it came to dying on the cross, Jesus prayed, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so when you follow Jesus, you discover that he sometimes takes you through life experiences that you'd rather avoid. They can be painful, they can be difficult, hard stuff, and along the way, you learn to surrender all of that to Him, and you learn to trust Him in in and for everything that happens. If you're living a surrendered life, my friend, you're giving off a spiritual aroma, a certain kind of fragrance. Musician Stephen Curtis Chapman Christian musician. He had a, a little place out in the woods where he'd stacked up some rocks, kind of like an altar. And he said it, it was a place where he would go to pray when he felt, he felt desperate for God to do something new in his life, to show up in his life. To, to, he would ask God for some kind of breakthrough that was needed. And on one occasion when he was praying, he smelled the scent of cedar And it was so strong that it distracted him from his prayer. And he looked around, he saw this little cedar tree. He had stepped on it accidentally and it had snapped in half. And that's where that strong smell of cedar was coming from. And it became a picture of God's grace to Stephen Curtis Chapman, as he prayed the phrase, the fragrance of the broken came to him. So when you are broken before and you're yielded to God, you, you give off a spiritual aroma, a fragrance. When you're fully surrendered to God for his purposes in this world, you give off a wonderful and distinctive spiritual fragrance. So that leads us to a second question. smells the fragrance of your life and mine? Who picks up on it? Paul wrote here, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. You see, the the smell of incense would would just... uh, uh, fill the air at these Roman triumphs, these victory parades, and for the people of Rome and their soldiers and their leaders, that incense—well, it was the smell of victory. But for the enemies of Rome who were part of the procession who were now being herded toward their execution or their imprisonment, that that incense was the smell of defeat, of failure, and even of death. And so, quite literally. At these Roman triumphs, the smell of of incense meant exactly the opposite for two groups of people involved in it. For some, incense was the smell of life, but for others, incense was the smell of death. That's what Paul has in mind here. So if, if your life gives off a spiritual fragrance, who's smelling it? Well, uh, the people who are responding to Jesus, first of all, these, uh, th- those are the men, women, boys, and girls who are already being drawn to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. These are people in whom God is already working. These are people who are open to God, even though they may not recognize it yet. And to those people, there's, there's something about the way that you live that intensifies their interest in Jesus. To these people, your words about Jesus, if you get a chance to share Jesus with them, it, it, it's life to them. They crave it. N- not everybody is going to respond to Jesus and his message, sad to say, but, but many will respond. And God wants to use you and he wants to use me, the fragrance of our lives, to draw them to himself. Paul said here, to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. You know, I read about a, read about a class at a um, language school for men and women training to become missionaries in China. And on the first day of their class, the teacher entered the room. She didn't say a word. She just slowly walked down every row of students in that classroom, and then she unexpectedly walked out of the room again for a few moments. And all the students were mystified, what on earth was going on? And when she came back in, she, she asked the students a question, did you notice anything special about me? Well, nobody knew quite what to say. Finally, one student raised her hand and said, well, I noticed that you were wearing a really lovely perfume. And the teacher nodded and said, That was exactly the point that I wanted to make. Look, folks, it's going to be a long time before any of you will be able to speak Chinese well enough to share the good news about Jesus with anybody in China. But even before you're able to do that, you can share the sweet fragrance of Jesus with these people by the quality of your life. So, if your life gives off a spiritual fragrance, again, who smells it? Well, how about the people who are rejecting Jesus? Now, I know that's kind of an odd concept, but, you know, it might explain why some people in your life who don't know Jesus find you irritating. Now, hopefully it's not because you're just really very annoying, but rather because they, they somehow sense the Lord Jesus Christ in and around your life, and they are repelled by the idea that they need to confess and turn away from their own sin. They're too proud to surrender their lives to Jesus. But because they can't really lash out at God himself, they end up lashing out at you because in some way you represent Jesus to them. And so they might mock your faith. They might treat you with an irrational hostility. They may try to antagonize you. Not everybody is going to respond to Jesus and his message positively. Many will reject him, sad to say. That's why Paul says here, to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Now, if your life gives off this spiritual fragrance... Who smells it? Well, God himself, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't don't overlook what Paul wrote here. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to who? God. God. You, You can live your life, I can live my life in such a way that it reminds God the Father of how his son Jesus lived his earthly life. It's as if God somehow takes a big old sniff of your life and of mine, and he says, you know, his aroma is just like my son. Her fragrance reminds me of my son. So a question. As God the Father watches you day in and day out, is he reminded of Jesus? I mean, is, is your life fragrant with the aroma of Jesus? I mean, when, when he hears the words that you speak, and he perceives your attitudes, and he sees the way that you live day in and day out, and he observes the way that you relate to and treat other people, and he notices your love for lost people, and he evaluates your interest in doing his will at all times, does, does he smell the unmistakably lovely scent of Jesus? Or not. Hmm. You know, as with the fragrance or the aroma of incense at a Roman triumph, Paul, Paul used another metaphor here that needs a little explaining 20 centuries later. You see, a cruciform life has a fragrance, but a cruciform life is also like a letter. That's the second metaphor. You see, back in the first century, Letters of recommendation were a very common part of everyday life and culture. I mean, it was, it was just the, the normal way that people would introduce themselves to other people when they wanted to forge a personal or a business relationship with you. I mean, if someone wanted to establish trust with you, they might carry with them actual letters from someone that you already knew or someone that you deeply respected you know, today, what do we do? We, we go online and Google people, right, to find out if they're trustworthy. Well, in the first century, these letters of recommendation would vouch for the, the trustworthiness, the authenticity of whoever was carrying them. And Paul wasn't against these these letters of recommendation, as such, I mean, as we read that passage, it, he kind of came off as negative. He wasn't negative about those. His point was simply that he didn't—he didn't need to produce any such later uh, letters to prove his authenticity to the Corinthian Christians. I mean, after all, they were they were products of his ministry. And then it seemed as if Paul realized that he just landed on yet another new metaphor to describe a cruciform, a cross-shaped life. And it says it's as if he said to himself, you know, come to think of it, yes, you are like a living, breathing letter from Jesus himself to a lost and a dying world. And when people look at your life, Corinthians, they should be able to read in that that Jesus matters supremely. So... If the Corinthians were like a spiritual letter to their world 20 centuries ago now, can you and me, can can we also be like a spiritual letter to our world today? Absolutely we can. But again, let's just ask ourselves some questions. First, can anyone read the letter of my life? Now, I want you to imagine, you you go out to the mailbox and you find a letter that's written there for you, right? Or maybe you're you're hovering over your computer or your smartphone and you you get an email message or a text sent to you. If you open any letter, any message, you unconsciously ask the question, can I read it? it? Is it legible? Does it make sense? Can I understand it? And if, if you and I are, are letters from Jesus or an email or a text, can other people look into our lives and get interested in Jesus as a result? In other words, is your life legible? Legible. Does your life point other people to Jesus, who he is, what he's done? You know, folks, last time I checked, very few, very few non-Christians read the Bible, Right? Um, So like it or not, they are drawn toward Jesus or they're pushed away from Jesus based on what they see or what they can read in your life and in my life. So what can people read in your life that gives them any information about Jesus, about what really matters in life? Is your life legible? Or to put it differently, is your life credible? Not just legible, but credible. I mean, would anyone become curious about Jesus by looking at your life? You know, those first Christians in Corinth, we've been discovering, they were far from perfect. Far, far, far from perfect. But the Holy Spirit had brought about enough change and transformation in them that even the non-Christians in Corinth could observe it plainly enough. You you could read a very clear message about God's grace and power just by looking into these lives. And that's why Paul wrote here, clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. You see, it was obvious that those Corinthian converts had been changed spiritually. In other words... uh, Is the message about Jesus in my life, is it obvious to other people? Folks, here's what what I think we need to remember. It's possible to profess a faith in Jesus so quietly, so hiddenly, so under the radar that a non-Christian can can miss it entirely. From the perspective of a non-Christian now, the only difference between you and him or her might be that you have, you have this odd habit of going to this building with a steeple attached to it on Sunday mornings and you sing some songs there and you have someone tell you how and why a very old book should tell you about God and how to live your life. And, and sometimes, folks, our lives aren't very legible spiritually simply because we haven't made the fact we follow Jesus obvious enough. If you're a follower of Jesus, can it be said of you, clearly, (laughs) clearly, clearly, you are a letter from Christ. So here's a second question. Who wrote this letter of my life? So there you are looking at this letter, this email, this text that's come to you. If you don't immediately know who sent you the letter, email, or text, I mean, don't you often go right to the end of the message first and see who sent it to you? How many of you get texts from people you don't know who they're from? I, I have to go, who, who is this? <laughs> um, you you, you want to know who it's from, right? And and uh, you try to figure out who sent the message, uh, sometimes even before you read it. And, and Paul wanted to emphasize here that the Corinthian Christians were, were They weren't a letter from Paul. They were a letter from Jesus himself to the lost people living in the city of Corinth. Yes, sure, Paul had a role, but Jesus was the author of the letter of their lives, not Paul. So here's an application. Your life, my life, can only have a compelling message if Jesus is what? The true author of it. And so Paul wrote here, he said, clearly you are a letter from Christ. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Well, what's he talking about now? He's actually using another metaphor here. What was this about tablets of stone? Well, Paul Paul was thinking now about how the Ten Commandments were literally written by God on physical tablets of stone. And then uh, those were given to Moses and the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And, you know, they were meant to be wonderful, gracious guidelines that resulted in a happy, productive life if you followed them. But along the way, they, they just became ten rules. And if you kept those ten rules as well as some other rules... You know, God would let you into heaven. That's how people thought. And what mattered was keeping the rules, not not loving God, not having a relationship with God, just keeping the rules. Uh, Your heart condition didn't matter. And you know, folks, people people today still believe that way. If I just live a reasonably decent moral life, that's all that really matters to God. God, I don't need a relationship with God. I just got to do the best I can. That's how most people think. That's how most people think they're going to get into heaven. But that's not the good news about Jesus, is it? And Paul said here that a person becomes a letter from Jesus only when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your heart and to your life. The Holy Spirit enables you and me to start loving God. He puts a new desire in our hearts to live for him, and to have a relationship with him. And we run into something that the Bible calls grace, and that grace changes us at the very core of our being. That's the heart. That's what the Bible identifies as our core, who we really are. And as a result, a Christian a Christ isn't just an improved person. You're a new person. A follower of Jesus isn't someone who's just a little different than someone who doesn't follow Jesus. You're essentially different because you've been born again by the Spirit of God. You know, in in a couple of chapters further on into this same letter, Paul put it like this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what kind of a person? A new person, not an improved person, a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And, folks, I need to ask this morning, has anything like that ever happened to you spiritually? Has the real you at the deepest place, at the core of your personhood, been invaded and transformed by the Holy Spirit? Are you truly born again? Because that's what's necessary. And perhaps you can can answer that question for yourself after you ask and you try to answer this question, what does the letter of my life say? (laughs) What what message does your life give off? So there we are. Picture it. We're at the mailbox or in front of the computer screen. We're gazing at the smartphone. We open the letter. We open the message. What does it say? What's the content? what's What's the information? If you're a letter from Jesus, what does your life say on a day-by-day-by-day basis? Paul told us that the Holy Spirit lives in us now. Well, when that happens, others are inevitably going to see the evidence of it. And one evidence, one message is what the Bible calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. These are the character qualities that the Holy Spirit works into our lives over time. What are those again? Well, I know you're well acquainted with them, but boy, it's good to hear them again. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you have to have the Holy Spirit living in and through you to produce all those, those spiritual attitudes and actions with consistency and with, with authenticity. It doesn't just happen. It happens because the Holy Spirit lives within you now and you're surrendering your life to him on a daily basis. And when that happens, folks, people are going to come to see something of Jesus' beauty and grace revealed in and through your life. They'll see something of God's compassion and respect for human beings created in his image. Something of Jesus' integrity in how we handle ourselves. Something of the Holy Spirit's power as we sort through the problems and the heartaches that we patiently endure in our own lives. Again, folks, non-Christians don't read the Bible what do they do? They read you and they read me. And you're a letter from Jesus to them. And Jesus said that your life and mine needs to provide one additional message. Every person needs to be spiritually transformed, and that can only happen through Jesus. Uh, Here's what Jesus said about himself. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And just before he ascended back to heaven, Jesus clearly handed off this mission to you and me, to his followers. What did he say? And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. So folks, I I want you and me, I want both of us, you and me, to hear what Jesus has been saying to his followers for 2,000 years and what I believe he's saying to us this morning. You're my letter. You're my email. You're my text. You're my posting. You're my blog. You're my tweet. Your life and how you live it. Your lips when you share with others what I've done for them. You're my letter to a lost world. John Dixon is an Australian author and speaker, and he became a follower of Jesus because of an ordinary, middle-aged mother by the name of Glenda, not some world-famous evangelist, not a church program but an ordinary middle-aged mother named Glenda. When John was going to school in Australia, the public school system back then would allow kids to be dismissed for a portion of a day to go and receive a a lesson from the Bible. And this could be done in the home of, uh, of a volunteer. They probably don't do that anymore, but they did when John was growing up. And so uh, Glenda became his teacher, and uh, Glenda invited him and a few other uh, boys from his high school over to her home on Friday afternoons, and she um, she fixed them lunch, and then they would open up the Bible, they'd read some Bible, they'd they talk about Jesus for a while, and and pretty soon uh, the Jesus stuff became as interesting to these. 15-year-old boys as the free lunch that they got at Glenda's home. Now, folks, you, you got to understand, these 15-year-old boys, John and his friends, were far from God. John said they were among the worst sinners at <laughs> their high school, just, you know, just kind of, kind of messed up, typical teenagers, I guess. Um. But Glenda, she just opened her home. She she treated them like family. Well, then following that, th- there was this, this incident that occurred. One of John's close friends, a boy by the name of Daniel, got very, very drunk one night. And um, John and his friends knew that they couldn't take Daniel back to his own home because, frankly, his His father would overreact and make the situation even worse. So they said to themselves, let's take him to Glenda's. She'll she'll take him in. She'll, She'll fix him up. Well, they arrived at Glenda's home a little bit before midnight. How would you respond to that? And she was just finishing up a, um, a fancy dinner party. She had a lot of people in the house, and they were just getting done with this dinner party. But when these, these boys and Daniels stood there in front of her door, she didn't bat, she didn't bat an eye. She invited them in. She, she ushered them past <laughs> all the other people in her home, t- took, took them all to the back of her house, and she found some spare clothes, and she said to them, just get Daniel in the shower, clean him up, put him to bed. We'll sort this out in the morning. And uh, that's what happened. And the next morning, John and his friends came back to Glenda's house around 10 o'clock to pick up Daniel. And, um, you know, he was sitting there um, in the kitchen at a t- the table, and, and uh, Glenda was fixing him some bacon and, and eggs, and they were just having a good old chat. John says that the reason that he and his friends took Daniel to Glenda's home that night was because they had the impression that Christians, all Christians, loved people who were far from God, and that it was okay that they really wanted to help people that were messed up. even even drunk teenagers. That's why they brought them to Glenda's home that night. And um, as they continued to meet at Glenda's house for about six weeks, every Friday, had lunch, opened the Bible, looked at Jesus, they began to realize that Jesus was real and that he was powerful. And... About five of them ended up putting their faith and trust in Jesus, opening their lives up to the abundant mercy of God and his and surrendering their lives to him. And folks, again, these were these were kids that were rough. they were far from God. And Glenda, you know, uh, she, told them that she didn't approve of their drinking habits she didn't drink, she didn't approve of of their use of alcohol, but she didn't didn't reject them either. She opened up her home and she opened up her life so that they could read Jesus in her. Why why did John and those other young men come to Jesus? Because an ordinary middle-aged mother became a fragrance and a letter to them from Jesus himself." Are you cruciform? In other words, do do you have a cross-shaped life? Hmm. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an aroma. You're, you're, you give off a fragrance, and, and hopefully it's the fragrance of, of Jesus himself, right? Because if it is, then you also are a letter from Jesus to the lost and the hurting people in your world, and through you, they're going to hear about the Lord's Abundant mercy and his amazing grace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for the opportunity to think about how we can be a fragrance and a letter and that you can actually use us to reach into the lives of those who are far from God and be able to to just... Communicate to them that you're a God of grace and love and mercy who wants a relationship with them as much as he does with us and that he is seeking of them through his Holy Spirit. Father God, um, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today. Lord, sometimes we know that we don't smell very good spiritually. We're not a very good fragrance for Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes the letter of our lives doesn't really point to Jesus the way that it should. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you that there's always a new opportunity to become what you want us to be. We, we can step out. We can ask that you change us and that you continue to use us. And, Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us that as we move into a new week, that we will be that fragrance of Jesus, that letter from Jesus that people need to receive. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: tuning into the carl road baptist church podcast we hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future you can always watch our past services or see them live on youtube facebook and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org that's carl with a k a r l roadbaptist.org if you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that, so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.